2: the song, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, George yeah. on my mind. I did post like I was like,
1: you know, I'm actually going to try to halfway be prepared, which is kind of a laugh because <laughs> even when I try to be prepared, I'm not prepared. That's part of our show, right? Right. That's part of the program. That's why we get paid the big bucks. Big zero bucks. <sighs> big zero bucks. Plus all the wonderful oh. things our patrons help us with. Oh my gosh! Amazing. Yes. Absolutely amazing. We do appreciate y'all. There's a, um, someone joined recently and did like, I've upped like us $3 for the creepy dolls. And then I did the Sasquatch squad, that. which was $15 and you get like whatever t-shirts we have on hand. Like when you do that and hopefully like we'll get back into the t-shirt game. Cause I love the t-shirt game. Mm-hmm. Almost 50, and I wear t shirts. I'm just a class like that. Oh, yeah. But no, t shirts all the time. T shirts all day, t- every shirts, day. Graphic t shirts are like my jam. But yeah, if you join our Patreon and become a member at $15 a month, whatever t shirts we have, we send. And so somebody joined. They're from Georgia, like South Georgia, and I was like, I always try to send a note saying, hey, thank you for supporting us, especially at this level and stuff. And give me your T-shirt size and address and I'll send it to you and, and whatnot. And she was like, yeah, she's from, and I cannot remember the name because that's the one thing I didn't write down. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm from such and such Georgia. We're like the armpit of the South. And I was <laughs> thinking, you know, we need to assign Body parts <laughs> to the rest of the South. Like, if you're the arm, and she described like why she's the armpit of the South there. And it's because they are just far away enough from the coast where they don't get the wind. <laughs> and so it's just like stagnant and hot and humid and mm-hmm. mucky. And she's just like, yeah, it's just so uncomfortable. Mm. I was like, girl today is uncomfortable today mm-hmm. feels like the armpit yesterday of the south
2: the still are
1: we, all, are we live did yeah. so we bad. say hello oh no hello hi, <laughs> hey <I> was like, <laughs> hey courtney <laughs> hey courtney hi y'all. i didn't
0: think it's been quite so bad because it's not as hot <gasps> and it's rainy but yesterday was, was awful outside, outside though i didn't think so
2: oh, that's God. funny I,
1: Everything I was didn't stuck go outside together. yesterday
2: <laughs> Looking mm. in all the wrong places.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Today I went like grocery, well, pick up and it was miserable and I wanted to get home inside to my air oh, condition. There is legit
0: shortage of all the shit again, oh, just no, in man. case y'all hadn't <laughs> noticed, because I thought it was just like the employee shortage, like the attrition and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's supply chain shortages again and food shortages. I just read an article this morning about schools not being able to supply um, lunches for kids around big sections of the country because they can't get enough food delivered on time that mm-hmm. like lets them meet the nutrition dietary standards that are wow. required for them to serve it at school. Wow. So like there was a, it was a story like if you can't get baby carrots on Thursday then like you can't do anything. Right. And cuz you can't serve it if you don't have baby carrots. It's crazy.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. No. <clears throat> that is that is nuts. The the sort the shortage thing is it's just nuts and i get oh, it apocalypse yeah i get it like i
2: get why people are not going back into the food industry
0: i think we should just go back to living on a barter system
2: plus. well i was just gonna say part of the problem is we have to sort we like it's all outsourced and mm-hmm. from not local yeah and you know I'm totally yeah. the idea that we should have everything all the time even if it's not in season then mm-hmm. have it shipped from whatever country has it in season right. or can grow it and I'm guilty of that. Yeah, I want I, strawberries I, I am in the, the, December. Strawberries all the time. <laughs> blueberries all the time. Fresh wild organic like, blueberries. It is
0: such a struggle it's, to do the locavore thing though, because I did it for a good little while, and it's it's fucking hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, unless
1: you're gonna eat like like hamburgers and potatoes, mm-hmm. like and squash all the time, mm-hmm. and then and not even like in wintertime here i mean cabbage yeah like lots you of really, kale lots of cabbage you have to like really cut down to like you know what our ancestors used to eat and i
2: don't want to do that
1: i know, <laughs> I right? know i'm know. i not
2: saying i wanted to, i had I'm a lot saying. more
1: time when i did it that's the thing It's right. like it was
0: when i had one kid and that kid was like below school age right took a lot of naps you know all mm-hmm. that kind of shit but yeah, it was like you had to go to the farmer's market and then base your menu on what you could get at the farmer's market and have enough sense at the time or know enough recipes to be able to figure out what to buy and what not to buy while you were
1: there. And then you had right. to put it all
0: together and then you had to have like dried beans and dried rice. And all, I can't you know. do
1: food planning. I have tried, <clears throat> but a lot, and this is my problem. A lot of my food eat and a lot of my families, I mean, we I guess we're high maintenance, is You know, it depends on my energy level. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our menu, like if I say, and I've tried, I've like, okay, I'm going to plan out this week. I'm going to buy the groceries and this is what we're eating here and this is what we're eating here. And then I get to that day and I'm just like, fuck, I don't feel like doing that. Mm -hmm. And then I won't and then I waste groceries. So I have come to the realization that I am just not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I have to make peace with that. Yeah. But it still pisses me off because... I make poor decisions all the time. and we do make poor decisions when we're tired.
0: It's also hard to eat healthy when you're eating fast. Yes. And that's like the shittiest part about it, you know. But it is. It's hard. I mean, Courtney and I just talked about that last weekend because neither of us has been doing... Like I was doing the vegan forks over knives thing for the last couple months uh, at least. And I had subscribed to a planner and I was like when the kids weren't in school, I was... You know, trying to eat vegan. But that meant, like, doing serious food prep on the weekends, making, you know, sauces out of cashews. Maybe it wasn't you and me. It was you and me and Renee, actually, yesterday. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but you have to, when you're vegan, you have to make everything. Right. And... You know, so it's like you always have to make sauces and dressings and stuff like that in advance. And I've just, since they've been back in school this last two weeks, I've just been like, "Mm, I ain't vegan no more. (laughs) 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 This time
2: is gone. I'm going back to taco night. Good job. At least trying.
0: I was like, well, my kids never ate any of it anyway. (laughs) And I I was just like, so what the fuck?
1: You're having to prepare like. Three different meals. Yeah, feels like one for you, and then you know one or two for the other people in your life. And I'm just yeah.
2: Not me. I'd be like, make your own. That's you know what. That's what I have always said.
1: I had
0: always said that. But you know what? Also, I do tell them to make their own shit, and they live on ramen. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not good either.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or cereal. Yes, cereal
0: is a big one. Yes.
1: (laughs) And a lot of times, like, both my husband and my child are on the spectrum. And they have no, like, executive function when it comes to food. And they will literally starve. Like, they will <laughs> that's literally what, that's what pass does. out before they will make them something, or mm-hmm. just like it registers that they need to do this action to feed themselves yeah like you ask them the next morning right. like did you have dinner and they're, like, and they're like no i don't think i don't think did. i don't think i drank water today yeah. so it's water not like is yeah bad for yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah it's like you know it's like a thing and my husband got to the point where he'll just go eat fast food mm. And so like that's his go-to. He's not going to like take the time to go shopping and to figure out all the things. He's just going to get in the car and go eat fast food. Which and, is better than not eating. Which is better than not eating. But my son doesn't do that, and he just he just won't eat, or he'll yeah. just eat crap or cereal, or he'll eat like twenty chip bags. So it's a I stress. know it's <laughs> like I wanted my kid
0: to get to nineteen before they started eating that. You know, I was right. like, when you're nineteen, that's when you eat ramen and chip packs every day. Right. <laughs> like that's right. what you do. So yeah, that's what so, freshman yeah. do. So like do. Best
1: laid plans just don't fucking work.
0: I know. So I've gone back to I've gone back to the old like steadfast. Okay tacos sometimes maybe do make your own pizza or some shit or or refrigerated frozen pizzas right you know like chili in the crock pot or you know chili
1: we do tacos and actually i've gotten back on doing um hello fresh Oh, good. Because and it was my son that brought it up. He's like, because I was just doing like chili and tacos, and then like rice and chicken and broccoli, which is like our standard. Like that sounds good. We sir I serve that. That like, sounds
0: very healthy. <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it is. But you know, it's, that's that's mm. like three meals out of mm-hmm. like seven days. And so he's like, "Mom," he's like, "Get back on hell." I was like, "Okay, I will get back on hello fresh," which I mean, I still have to fix the shit, but then matter. did
2: you say, "And yes, come in the kitchen and help me with these ingredients <laughs> and he, and the ingredients and instructions because it's kind of fun." You yeah, know, it's yeah, a good way does, to learn fun. to
1: cook. He does like yeah, chopping, but again, I am bad about that being so tired. Exactly. That I know. it takes it an extra myself. step, yeah. Having to do like the management of mm-hmm. like, you know, hold the knife the other way so you don't slice like mm-hmm your mm-hmm. palm open or- so
0: when you say you're bad at the management of it what you really mean
2: is you are tired mm-hmm. and that's okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, Look, I'm you so do tired, it how you need to do I'm it. I'm sitting right. here with no children telling you what to do and I can't even be a half-ass <laughs> bartender and make a drink yes. for us today. we so, don't we don't have a listen, drink. Listen, don't listen to me or anything I'm saying <laughs> or wh- advice for me worthless because we're all sitting here BYOB because we tailgated yesterday and I didn't have the energy for two weekend hey, days. I'm too to old do. to do this shit.
0: Like Tailgate- one tailgate t- t- going to take me my whole day. weekend. Yeah. yeah. It's it's and I was like I don't think I can I can't do this very often yes. cuz my whole weekend is shot.
2: Yeah, we did it. I mean, we did the real deal, grill and it was nice and because it, was it was Randy's my husband's birthday, birthday and that's what so he wanted to do. So right. But of course that involves a lot of pre-planning and everybody was it was, really <laughs> he was like we did it so easy and i was like fuck and you we, we like, did it right. <laughs> like, well, he's like we, we made it so simple and i was I like yeah because you didn't have to do anything man I've had i had love apocalyptic- you i know
0: you're listening
2: <laughs> <laughs> walmart on friday night at seven i thought it'd <laughs> be a great time to go. i was like it'll be everybody be gone because does it still close at eight was it still closing at eight because it was for a long time i don't know i don't know anyway i thought oh, it would be not. great Well, I didn't think about how. No, everyone stayed in town because Mm -hmm. the game game. was the next day. Mm -hmm. So it was full of freshmen shuffling around like zombies (laughs) on their phones, texting, wearing their lanyards, ransacked. There was one gallon of fair life left every shelf i went a lot of people had just taken their arm and just oh <laughs> the no, shells it clean. looked
1: like that before <laughs> the
2: game <laughs> i know because
1: marley and i were <laughs> talking about how walmart it was really like, kind of scary it, i was yeah, like it looks like, it's, hell's happened here? It looks like yeah. it's always ransacked and i'm sure oh, it's because of labor shortages and they can't
2: chain. restock as quickly yeah. because mm-hmm. one of the reasons i went is she tried to get Brats earlier in the day on pickup, mm-hmm. and said it wasn't there. And when I get there, there were some, but they were frozen still, like they had just they sat just them out them from out. the freezer. So. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not enough people there working, I'm sure, to restock. And I'm not complaining. I mean, this is first world problems, right? right? But still, I was I was like, oh, I have a great idea. I'm going to go at this time. And it was the absolute worst I time. Know. It was a shit show in there. And, I, mean, I was God, like, God, what have I done? I'm like, God bless everybody
0: who works in like <laughs> any oh, store, especially God. grocery so right thankful. now. I'm Absolutely. so thankful. I'm so thankful for is,
2: them. That is. <laughs> I mean, my minor not inconvenience, a, a but job, I was I'm very sure. tired after all. Oh, my week, God, I know. And yeah. I was just like, why did I do this? Rain day. <laughs> Rain day. Rain day. Okay. <laughs> so that's why we're drinking whatever we brought in here: wine, gin, whiskey. It's all all it's mixed all fair together game today. In one can. <laughs> So that's your, that's your drink recipe. Whatever Yeehaw. you can find in the cabinet that's today.
0: Right. <laughs> B-Y-O-B bitches. That's how that shows up on the drink. We yeah. do have a drink list, by the way. If y'all haven't yeah. ever seen it, hop on the show page because there is. And a recently updated yeah, now yeah. Um, yeah. drink list. And, and things hopefully will be working better for all y'all who have had technical difficulties. Patrice has been working her ass off to get everything oh. switched over to different servers and hosts and all that kind of techie yes. shit I don't understand. So she's been like... <laughs> But you know, she'd text me at like ten thirty, and she's like, "I'm still working on this and this," and I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, last weekend Ooh. was like
1: an overhaul, pain in the ass. But it's done, and I hope everything works now for everybody, and that we're like on the right track because we are approaching our hundredth episode. We are. This is ninety two, I think. Mm-hmm. 92. So we are. Yes. I think I was
0: about to start my story, was I?
1: Yes, you were. I already
0: drank like half of what I poured into this cup while we were... <laughs> <laughs> we just
1: got off on a tangent, y'all. We did. All right. I thought we talked a lot during the intro.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for the past two episodes, I've been talking about the story of Bobby Dunbar. Bobby.
3: So, Bobby!
0: um I don't know what y'all
1: remember. Bruce. We remember. Or Bruce Anderson. That was the other name. Yes. Is yes. it Bobby Dunbar or is it Bruce Anderson? The, yeah. I remember that they were like trying to like tie it up nice and neatly and they sent everybody back and like, I think it ended where they're saying that. He was Bobby, and they sent the mother back, and mm-hmm. that they, was it. They
0: did that test where they brought her in, and it right. really wasn't very fair. They brought her into the house no. to recognize the kids. Right, and-, and it was like a big production. Mm. It sounded and, like a lot of bullshit. And I don't know if I said, but after after they were like, okay, you are dismissed. Like, this isn't your kid. Go away. Right. Um, you know, she did tell people, like, that is my kid. Right. And because, you know, they had brought her back afterwards into the yard and he had a goat or something and she was you know and she she was like no wait a minute no that that is my kid like I've been down on myself because y'all were all
1: Gaslighting me Yes basically mm-hmm. gaslighting
0: me But that's my kid Right And she told people that afterwards But she had to go back You know Because right. they paid for her way to go They so were she, the journalist So she like right? she could Yes the journalist said the, the newspapers mm-hmm. had paid to get her there
1: Right
2: So um, None of that was illegal The law didn't get involved It was just that like Journalist brought
0: No yeah. it's
1: like all Yeah That yeah. was a, a big it was
2: a, it was a shit show So
0: yeah. you know All that media craziness You got a taste of that And a little bit of Julia And um so, again, the book that I've been basing all of this stuff on is um, A Case for Solomon by Tal McThenia and Margaret Dunbar Cutright. Oh. Um, so in the book, you get to know Julia even even better mm-hmm. than what you guys have heard so far. And I've already said some about the circumstances of Bruce's birth And, you know, about who his father probably, or who his father was, that wasn't the last time she was going to be in a a tricky situation with a pregnancy and all this, you know, mess that she kind of got shoved into. So uh, uh, just a little bit more back on her before we kind of move on. She, she, you guys, I think may have asked me, or I know it may be on people's minds if you were listening last time, like, why really was she why did Walters have her kid? Right. You know, that, that question hadn't been really answered right. yet. And the thing is she had gone to work for JP and Elise Walters who were, um, uh, WC Walters parents,
3: mm-hmm. the,
0: the alleged kidnappers parents, oh. um, on their farm in 1909 or so. So she'd been working for his folks. Mm-hmm. Um, in North Carolina. And, um, she had Bruce, he Mm -hmm. was about two at the time. I think that she moved in with them. She, they were, you know, they were getting on and they needed a lot of care. Mm -hmm. And that was a talent that she had and a, and a skill. She was a very empathetic person. She was a great nurse and a really, really good caretaker. And so she was in there to take care of them, but she also was able to share crop on their farm and, um, but she lived in their house. She did their cleaning, cooking, all that kind of stuff and, and took care of them. So, and cared for Bruce on top of it. So she was like, that girl
1: she, hustle. Right. She was know? tired at night. She didn't want to have to like yeah, cook. Yeah, no shit. Yeah.
0: Um, so the Walters, JP and Elise Walters had two sons. WC was the one who is our alleged kidnapper. His, his nickname was Cant because the C stands for Cantwell. So his family called him Cant. Okay. And D.B., was the other son as his younger brother, and he, his name, pro- the DB, probably stands for. Doctor Bunyan. I think they just named him after the doctor that delivered him. Okay, uh, so, so everybody called Bunyan him Butt. I know Doctor Bunyan. So everybody called
2: him Butt. That was his nickname. Did he um, invent the Bunyan? What is going on with that? I, know,
1: I don't know. Doctor Sholes. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: they said,
0: it was funny because like wall. nobody actually really knew what the B stood for. Mm-hmm. Some people said it was Brown. It was, but almost everybody said it was Doctor. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, so. Julia and Bunt had actually become close while she was living with his parents because mm-hmm. he was he was around. Right. And by the summer 1910, she was pregnant again oh. because she and Bunt had fallen in love, and they really had fallen in love. Like oh, he okay. he was a fuck up, but he had followed her a lot of places after, and he actually shows up at the courthouse later on in this oh, story. Wow. Like he really does dig her, right? And she was in love with him mm-hmm. and thought he was going to ask her to marry him, right? And um then bunt assaulted somebody and went to jail Mm. Oh God! and you know so she's left with two old people who are i mean honestly not that nice to her they're Mm. they're not nice people they don't trust her they kind of talk down to her all the time it sounds like just
1: typical old people
0: yeah i know right (laughs) and you know and she lives in their house so she's kind of stuck taking and she's caring for them all the time and they're not you know they're mean to her right she's got a two-year-old a newborn two old people and a shitload of scandal on her hands and in 1911 Kant, walters our our alleged kidnapper goes to visit his parents to ask for money actually because he's he you know he doesn't he's never had a steady job the book has a lot more about his history but i'm not going to get you into it just you know he's a wanderer right and he stayed with his folks for a long while that time he was visiting and he started getting along really really well with Bruce. And um, he would play music for him. can't had, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but he was a musician and he had like, he was, he always told people he was going to patent this like hundred string harp that he had created, that he had taken piano strings from places where he had gone and taken care of their pianos. And he had put together an instrument that had never existed before. I don't know if it was kind of like a harpsichord mixed with a guitar. I'm not really sure, mm. but you know, he could make some good music out of it. And it right. was part of how he made, a living too. You know, he would he would charm people with it. Right. And the kid loved it. Right. So um, you know, Bruce loved him and followed him around and asked to go with him places while they were staying at his parents' house. So in early nineteen twelve Walter's parents were at their dickishest, you know, like they (laughs) started, I know they started saying that, you know, Julia has been stealing from Uh, them. I knew that was coming up. Exactly. I mean, and she and Kent both decided that they were going to leave his parents' house. Right. You know, not together, but, you know, they were both done with them. Right. And so Kent told her, listen, you know, you've got this baby. That you've got to deal with you've got to try and find a job and you've already got too much on your hands i'm gonna take this i'm gonna take bruce he loves me i'm gonna take him to visit my sister we're gonna stay there a little while i'll bring him back to you and you can get you can get your feet under you at some other place and then you can have a place for him to to come back to. that you. was such a nice offer it, it's a nice offer <laughs> yeah and that's how she took it right and she knew you know she doesn't have a a stream of income, right? And she's kind of like, Okay, and she doesn't, it doesn't sound like a she has good family
1: to help with. Which she didn't,
0: yeah, yeah, she didn't have anybody. And so, you know, she says, Okay, she loads Bruce on the back of Walter's wagon and puts a little bundle of clothes just long enough for a little while mm-hmm. and then waves goodbye and they go. Right. And you know, at first, they kind of write some letters back and forth and you know, the winter comes on and it starts to get snowy and Kent writes back that like, Oh, I plan to come back by now, but the roads are all blocked because of the weather and I'm going to have to wait until the thaw. Right. And, um, Julia actually had gone back to the Walters. Um, she had, she had some really, really hard times while he was gone and she couldn't even feed the baby. Mm. I mean, she was like a marked woman. She had kept on being accused of adultery and infidelity You know, no matter where she goes, that's Mm -hmm. always with her. And it makes it hard for her to get work. Mm -hmm. And so she ends up finding a couple who is childless in another town and having them adopt Bernice, the baby, which is extremely hard for her to do. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge sacrifice and it's heartbreaking. Right but she does this. She goes back to the Walters because at least she could get maybe some money there and she knows how things work. Right. Um, but she, she has to leave again. She moves to Fairmont later to Wilmington, North Carolina. Meanwhile, Walters can't has stopped writing letters to her figured, you know, at this point I've got a better situation for this kid than this lady's going to have. Right. And he just decides he's going to keep her, keep him. You're right. Um, so that's just like the tip of the iceberg of this poor lady's backstory. And um, she's really been through shit. And, you know, like you said, we just ended this last episode with her being sent away, being, you know, taking complete advantage of. And, you know, a lot of people say threatened in Opelousas by locals who say that, you know, this can't be her kid and she shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, she gets back home and she's like, you know what? that ain't right. Mm -hmm. And she decides she's going to start to bring some pressure. So she writes letters to Walter's lawyers, Dale and Rawls. And you know, they're not looping her in on their defense strategy. They're not looping. They don't even, they haven't even told her when the trial's going to be. I'm sure. Yeah. And she's just like, I should be part of all this is my kid. You know, she's like, I should be part of all this. And they don't write back. So she finally is like, you know what? Fuck y'all. I'm coming down there. Mm -hmm. And she scrapes together donations to get a train ticket, trying to get to Columbia. But her money only makes her as far as Savannah, mm. and they kick her. You know, at the at Savannah, she has to get off the train. Damn, and she that's runs like, out of money. That's
1: not even anywhere that's close. Not. It's not
0: close. Like she that's could not get the away. money together. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, she's in the train station. She can't buy food. She has no water. She has no place to stay. And she's basically just like hunkered down in this train station praying that somebody's kind of come and like rescue her. Mm -hmm. And there's a group of women who, you know, works, you know, I I can't remember what they called them, something mothers, but they were a charity women who kind of would patrol the train stations and look for people who needed help. And they, they actually found her a place to stay they got this her this is the food.
2: 30s right this is the so 30s this depression era
0: it's bad oh, yeah mm-hmm. and um no this is the not the 30s the 12 13 1913
2: yeah. oh, right. so 30s comes bad. i was like my brain's yeah. in the 30s because
0: i was working on the later part of this okay. this morning sorry um but no this is 1913 and mm-hmm. i mean things may not be bad everywhere but they're bad for her well, yeah they're bad for her. and um so they give her this charity group gives her some food gives her a place to stay temporarily and contacts the lawyers in Columbia. And they're like, what the hell did she come down here for? We didn't ask her to come down here, but they call a local lawyer who's in that area where she is. His name is Vernon, Vernon Paget, And they're like, listen, you just need to talk to this guy. Cause you know what? The best chance you've got of getting your kid back is to file a writ, asking for your kid back separately from all this stuff that we're doing to, to defend Walters from the kidnapping charge. You've mm-hmm. got to do something on your own. Right. And so she, she gets in touch with this guy And, you know, as soon as he hears her story, he's impressed by her understanding of everything. He's impressed by her confidence in her side of how Mm -hmm. things are going. Mm -hmm. And he's really touched. And he wants to work with the Columbia lawyers to get her in on this whole thing. But um, she's got no money. Right. And he actually ends up – he's a very cool guy. He Mm -hmm. ends up hiring her as a caretaker in his family, says – live in my house, take care of some things. This is how you pay your legal fees. Oh, cool. And, you know, he gives her some respite, you mm-hmm. know, in all this shit. Amazing. So, um, meanwhile, it's decided that Walters is going to be tried in Opelousas, in the Dunbar's hometown, cuz, you know, that's Crap. fair. There's any way you could get a, you know, mm, fair, a trial. fair trial here. Mm-hmm. Um, the trial starts Easter Monday, 1914, for Walters. Um for, on this kidnapping charge. or yes, kidnapping. And so he's charge. been in
1: jail this whole entire time. He's been in
0: jail. and he's been in jail because he's been like waiting and he's not been called guilty yet. and he's friends with the sheriff. he He's been in like a triple sized cell. He has access to people walking by. He's been basically like courting the town this entire time. He'll oh. sing his songs with his harp out the bars. he'll mm-hmm. he'll make friends with children, you know, he's been really trying to work it. To, to get some public opinion on his side. Um, but, you know, so have the Dunbars right. this entire time. So I'm not, y'all get pissed as hell if I tell you about this trial i'm not gonna tell you much about the trial because you already have heard everything i've said the last two episodes all Mm -hmm. the most infuriating shit that you've already heard about the news telling lies making up quotes from people Mm -hmm. you know one side saying one one thing the other side says the other i mean it's all the same Mm -hmm. all through the trial the same thing it's like a, a circus and um You know, stuff. There's, they make Bobby undress in front of a courtroom full of people.
1: What? Full of people to look at all the
0: marks. To look at all the marks, the identifying marks. He gets. He has to undress in front of a courtroom full of people. There's a thousand people in a courtroom that holds three hundred people. mm. The judge actually has to um, hold the trial at one point because the lawyers can't reach the bench. They're jumping over the rails to get to their table. Dear Lord. And they can't push through people. So he's like, "This is ridiculous." (laughs) Mm And ends up sending some people out into the streets. But there's random, also just random weird... You know, processes that they went through that were not okay. Right. So they had all 80 witnesses that were subpoenaed sit in the courtroom for the entire trial, which is guaranteed to taint their testimony when they hear what other people are saying. You know, it's like all that kind of stuff. They also, people, a lot of witnesses altered their testimony from their original statements. There was a lot of stuff in the book that was like, and no cross. Uh, wh- what am I saying?
1: Uh, cross-examination. Cross-examination yeah.
0: was brought. Mm. And I'm like, what the fuck are y'all doing? No cross-examination was brought. There was like one local lawyer who worked with Dale and Rawls in this, and he was the one who actually like, lawyered. But, um, you know, I mean, they did, I, I, that's not fair. They they did great. But this guy seemed to be the one who actually really did a lot of the groundwork with like, you know, the social pressures and everything in Opelousas. So, um, Julia is scheduled to testify at this uh, at this trial, but she she gets down to Opelousas and she starts to feel ill almost as soon as she gets down there. And she starts to develop a really high fever. She starts to get sicker by the day. She's She can't eat anything. She gets hallucinations. She's got abdominal pains. So it's determined that she has pancreatitis. Oh, And shit. she has to go in for emergency surgery while she's away from home. And, you know, in a lot of stress, it's very invasive. 1913 is very dangerous. Uh, 1914. Yeah.
1: And she's a woman. And
0: so. she's a woman. And it's painful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, surgery, y'all... If you've ever been through surgery mm-hmm. at a place that's not like two seconds away from your house and you've got to drive, yes. like we've all had to do, drive mm-hmm. from Birmingham mm-hmm. to your home, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. from the hospital, it hurts like fuck. Mm-hmm. And we had like the top notch
2: technology and a lot of pain meds. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they did not have that. So They're this like woman, slicing.
0: on top of everything, she's got this shit going on. Okay, so she's scheduled oh, to, God, she ends listen. up having to testify because they've put off her testimony for so long. They end up having to have her testify less than 24 hours from that surgery. Oh, mm. dumb. She can't go to the courthouse, physically cannot go to the courthouse. So at least they gave her that. Okay, right. But um, she's at a local hotel and they end up sending a crowd of men to grab her cot with her on it and carry her down the stairs into the lobby where the judge and the jury and the Jesus. lawyers
1: and the press. I just want to machine gun everybody. I know, can sit there,
0: there and and like watch her testimony. So she is able to speak. But, I mean, can you imagine having people carry oh. you down the stairs, like, thump, 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 when you've got
2: an incision across your stomach from yesterday? The so, very best she has and laudanum. At the very worst, she has laudanum, because God knows, like, she needs some pain, something, and then she's got to testify. And she's got it. and I really, like, from, it sounds like from hell. what she
0: said, she couldn't have been too off kilter Mm -hmm. which means she was in a lot of pain right um so they set her in the lobby they bring all these people in and they know you know that so the prosecution knows that she's going to get a lot of sympathy immediately because there's this woman who is very obviously not making up
1: these health
0: issues and they're gonna feel sorry for her so as they should they end up doubling down on calling her a liar and insulting her character as part of their you know cross-examination of her so but at one point they have Bobby sit next to her on her cot and they make him make them both hold up their bare feet next to each other so people can examine. Cause you know, there was all this stuff about his toe is burned or his toe is crooked or, you know, and does it look like your foot? Does this child's foot look like your foot? Which is fucking ridiculous anyways. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, this whole thing is just I'm like mistrial. Asinine.
1: Like, yeah. But
0: um, he's very nervous, you know. I mean, this poor kid. poor kid. And she reaches over and grabs his hand because She's because he's nervous, yeah. you know, not because she wants to show ownership of him, right? But because she's comforting. Is, it's yeah, her fucking son, and, and it's what she does. Yes, and he actually lets her hold his hand while they do this. And when they leave the court, and when they leave the hotel, she's like in tears of joy because she has been able to touch this kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the kind of person we're taught. I mean, she's—I'm almost crying just mm-hmm. talking about it right I now. Know. So, <laughs> so unfortunately, you know, it's Opalusis. They've decided who's going to win this from, you the know, get-go. before day one, like right. from two years ago. Right. Um, after the jury deliberates, they come back with a guilty verdict for Walters. God. They do not sentence him to death, which is kind of a, a coup because they expected them to hang him that day, to be honest. Um, Julia is told, you know, on her sickbed. That This is what the, you know, the verdict is. And she won't talk to anybody. She's devastated. Well, good. She shouldn't because they'll just... I know. Mm -hmm. They'll fuck her over again. One of the defense lawyers, the one who's local, who I told you they kind of added... He knew that this was how it was going to roll. I mean, Mm -hmm. he lives here. He's heard all the public opinion. Mm -hmm. He has been preparing his appeal since the day they started trial. Mm -hmm. He's been taking Mm -hmm. notes on everything the judge has done wrong. Mm -hmm. And he also said the statute under which Walters is charged was actually unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so he files his appeal immediately. In June 1914, the appeal succeeds. I don't even remember. How I don't are, remember how who was is paying Walters him. How Walters
2: afford that? It's
0: Walters, just... that was a huge issue through the book because his family, his cousins and everything from North Carolina had scraped together some money for the mm-hmm. defense. But they part of the reason it took them so long to kind of get him defended mm-hmm. was because they had, you know, no money. he wasn't seem, able to pay them. They didn't yeah. seem
2: like they had a lot of money if he was going around trying they to didn't. sell no, no, or and so his his <laughs> family. I know. Well, he and he was a tinker, so he went to he
0: repaired people's pianos yeah, and no, stuff. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, he didn't. He was he was a like he moved around everywhere. He mm-hmm. had his wagon and yeah, he's the like kid. a nomad kind of. Yeah, lot, he was so. a nomad. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so the conviction was overturned. Oh,
2: 1914.
0: good. The conviction is overturned because it was called unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Walters is freed. Yay. It has, unfortunately, no legal bearing on oh, who Bobby Dunbar is. Yeah, we're at. Mm. It just says this man didn't kidnap, and it's a, you know. All right. So this is the part where we get to, this is the end of movie credits where, like, they show you a still picture of each character, and they, like, have a little Hello. statement underneath right. that tells you what happened to them <laughs> at the end. So Kent Walters, who just got released, goes back to the same old wandering around with a wagon.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, never becomes a greater guy or anything i mean he was just kind of like "Mm." status
1: quo yeah i mean he was
0: not like a martyr or anything he was not a great dude right he just didn't do this thing right and um but he eventually dies of blood poisoning in florida in the late 1930s julia recovers from surgery in early may so it's about a month after the trial and tells dalen rawls the defense lawyers that she still wants to do whatever she can do legally to recover the boy um she goes to meet them in columbia and then kind of at a loss she kind of backtracks to where walters and bruce have been on their you know trick and <clears throat> she ends up in mississippi in poplarville where the Bilbos, the family that had taken care of walters and bruce while walters was in the hospital you know they loved the little boy right and so she goes and they meet her like at the doorstep with hugs and tears and they share stories about bruce and the things that they remember um you know mrs bilbo gives julia all the little dresses that she made for the boy when he was staying there and mm-hmm. um just it's really sweet mm-hmm. and they tell her listen you stay here with us you know you're gonna stay here till you get back on your feet you're gonna be family for us
2: oh nice and um oh, Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> it turns out
0: <laughs> it turns out that um one of walter's lawyers um you know i, I keep saying dalen rawls but hollis rawls has a widowed aunt that lives near the bilbos there and she needs some care and this so
1: is, sorry i'm just like this is such a southern story because it's it becomes, like it okay so this their sisters cousins nephews mm-hmm. father it's true it's right. so true yeah
0: but um so you know he's got her there and she hires Julia to come take care of her and take care of her house and she has you know her husband has just recently died and um so she has a grown unmarried son living there for now, you know, to take care of her because, you know, his dad's just died. His name is Ollie and he and Julia get to talking and they start to get close. And in a couple of months they have a little wedding in the Poplarville courthouse and they, you know, talk to people on the steps and they have a little celebration and she's really nervous because it's so fast. And you know, how have things gone in the past for her? But this was nothing like that. And as time goes by, she, she does do everything she can legally do, but there's really very little she can do. Right. And she gets to a point where she hits the end of the list of things and she's just like, he is Bobby now. Yeah. And I'm going to tell my kids about him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to tell my kids about Bernice. I'm going to let him be Bobby Dunbar because it's not fair to put a kid through this. Right. Un- interminably. Right. Exactly. And so she lets him go and she and Ollie have yeah. seven kids.
3: Damn!
0: Damn. no shit and they work their asses off they are never rich but they're very very happy and so there's a i didn't even realize this until today but there was a story on this american life about this about the people who wrote this book and how they found all the details to write this story the way they have
3: Mm -hmm.
0: and um in and i'll leave a link in the show notes to that and to the book like i have every week but they have an interview with two of julia's kids hollis and jewel and um it says that they revere their mother that they should, they said Julia didn't just go to church. She founded the church. She was a nurse. She was a midwife for the entire community. And during the depression, she sewed all her children's clothes out of fertilizer bags and they always Mm -hmm. had food. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was, you know, she was something else. Right. Mm -hmm. And she went through hell to get to be that person. So she raises her kids to be compassionate Mm -hmm. and, you know, loving. And so she keeps caring for older folks for the rest of her life. Um, it's just, it's her gift. Right. And she teaches her kids about these two siblings that they have never met. No. Oh, and wow. she doesn't say, go get them, or we're so put upon, or somebody, you know, right. did this horrible thing to us. She says, remember that you love this kid. Right. And so she actually goes back to North Carolina to see Bernice. At one point and meet this, this baby, she gave up for adoption. They have a spectacular warm reunion, hugs and tears and talking about their kids and their future and everything. Mm -hmm. So she had a very good life. Right. And, um, Percy Dunbar Mm -hmm. runs for office, loses, Starts taking long business trips to Florida Mm. where in August 1920, he is arrested for stabbing a 19 year old waiter six times in a fight over a woman. Whoa. Shit. Lessie Dunbar moves to new Orleans. Um, because Percy's gone all the time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so she takes the boys and puts them in prep school and then military Academy. Um, after she finds out that (laughs) Percy has had a years long affair with this person, he stabbed somebody over. Mm -hmm. Um, she, um, has to <laughs> she she files for divorce but it's like the divorce like you had to have back then actually a lot of people probably still have to do this now where you have to gather like incontrovertible right. solid evidence that the, mm-hmm. there's infidelity because otherwise they won't grant it like mm-hmm. she had to go through that right but they so they grant her divorce but they give full custody to percy oh god what the, fuck? Both the kids i know what the fuck? The i don't know he's been arrested twice he by hasn't now. Even they're been in their home. teens <laughs> they're in their teens so um he brings the boys back to Opelousas. He moves back there. Leslie just leaves them all. She moves to Virginia. She becomes caretaker for this old man who is rich and owns an iris farm. And he gives her all of his estate when he dies. Well, good for you. She lives until her 70s, but she never really took much more of a part in her kids' lives. Well, it doesn't mm. look like. Um, Percy dies in 1931 after being sick for several years. Bobby's 25 and he has no parents.
3: Mm. So
0: Bobby grows up like different from his brother he's shy he's withdrawn but i mean think about the way his his -hmm. childhood like
1: yeah fucking traumatized yeah
0: and i mean he's not an exceptional anything he's not great at school he seems confused and lost he has a lot of surgeries he's kind of sickly um he's just a fine average kid
3: mm-hmm.
0: um he tells two friends when he's in his teens that he's never been confident that he is who he is right yeah, and bless that. his heart and then his parents divorce and you know yeah, he's all that from bullshit. one place to yeah, another and, his mom and she takes, takes off. off yeah and um so he he meets a girl named marjorie byers and takes to her and her family because her family is like a boisterous loving you know right just you know great stable family. Mm-hmm. And so they have a very long engagement. She's super like responsible. She's like, "Okay, we have to have this much savings before we can get married." So they're engaged for like 9 years. <laughs> and it's awesome. Right. Um and you know, so he becomes a salesman. Um sometimes he's called on to like retell his stories and memories of his kidnapping. It kind of just fades out of the press, but like right. the Lindbergh baby brings it back up and people come and, you know, right. ask him and stuff like that. And he would recite these details that he remembers and he would say like i i have the picture in my head Mm -hmm. of what this looks like but the book says he just never felt anything right Mm -hmm. that went with those pictures yeah and um you know he he becomes like average successful in his job he loves his wife dearly he's a spectacular dad Mm. um he loves being a parent he kind of turns out to be a pretty great dude Mm -hmm. and in his adulthood at least twice he visits poplarville mississippi finds two of Julia's kids
2: Mm. and sort
0: of just sits in the background and like watches them it's like he's trying to get up the nerve to talk to them but he never quite gets there
2: how did you know that he he
0: went to Hollis's workplace once and like they called Hollis down and they were like there's this guy here to see you and he's like hey what do you want I'm in the middle of a shift and the guy's like hey my name's Bobby Dunbar I just wanted to talk to you and he's like can you give me like 20 minutes? Cause I'm in the Mm -hmm. middle of shift. And he goes back and works and realizes like 10 minutes later, holy shit, that guy said Bobby Dunbar. Mm -hmm. And you know, he lost his chance. Mm Right. And then Jewel worked at, I think a diner they had said, and was, you know, giving coffee. And there was a a guy who just came randomly and sat at the counter all day mm. and just kept buying coffee and didn't talk to anybody and didn't seem to know anybody and it turned out it was probably bobby wow mm. um so in 1965 bobby has two heart attacks he dies in march of 1966 right after his daughter's wedding um mm. in 1999 bobby dunbar's son bobby jr gives his daughter gives his daughter um margaret a scrapbook that was kept by her great-grandmother Lessie Dunbar. It's full of newspaper clippings, photos, 400 articles about the kidnapping and all this stuff. She's so Margaret gets fascinated by this mystery and starts mm-hmm. to really, really dig into it. Mm-hmm. And the more she reads, the more confused she gets because she's reading all these source documents like we've been talking about for the last three episodes. And she's like, This shit does not add up. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this says this, this and some that sketchy, says that. Sketchy, yeah. sketchy yeah. shit. And so sh- she's sh- seeing sh- sh- all these discrepancies so sh- in this news coverage. And a little bit later, she gets hands on her um, the entire defense uh file mm-hmm. from the trial dalen rawl's whole defense it's 400 pages of oriz- original source material letters that were sent by julia and Kant back and forth like all <laughs> kinds of stuff and um so she finds out about julia kind of because of this search that she's on not her family never talked about her right you know they never had anything they never they didn't talk about that woman you know unlike in julia's family where you know, they were raised to know that they had a brother, right. You know, this, this whole thing, they just pretended the Dunbar's just pretended like this didn't happen after a while. Right. And in, um, In the early 2000s, the Associated Press gets a tip about all this research Margaret's been doing and the story and starts asking her like, hey, have you done a DNA test on this? Right. And she's wanted to, but she's kind of been like, I I kind of feel like I should have all of the brothers and sisters and, you know, everybody's permission before I do it. Right. But my dad said he would do it. So let's go ahead. Right. And they got permission from Alonzo's, you know, Bobby's little brother's son. Mm -hmm. What, Who? You remember um, Bobby Dunbar's little brother's name was Alonzo Alonzo Dunbar. Okay, and the real um, Bobby, the real the, like yeah, the <laughs> okay, got it. And so Alonzo's son David says, "Okay, I'll do it, and you
2: do it, Bobby Jr., and mm-hmm. then we'll see right. if it matches." They're they're the same generation because they should yep. have right. the
0: same. It's just a paternity test, right? You know, they should be the same, and it's not.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. Bobby
0: Dunbar, whoever he was, was not Bobby Dunbar. Right. And we're all shocked by this at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, uh. so Margaret gets ostracized by a big chunk of her family well. because they say she's disrespecting their heritage, oh, you know, give me being a fucking selfish, break. making a media circus. It was the circus. same
1: people that fucking, like, did the whole media circus? circus thing. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And they, they have obviously closed ranks and just decided, like, this is truth and you can't question <laughs> it, <sighs> whether you're right or not. Yeah. And um but the Walters and the Rawls families who are in Mississippi and North Carolina, this like this is the closure that they've never had. Right. And it's been and it you know, a woman and a man had their characters just like brutally destroyed right. in you know, in the public. And their lives were turned upside down. Yeah. And this doesn't fix that. No. But now people can't say anymore that, you know, this was just a murderous tramp and a kidnapper and Julia Anderson was an immoral scheming liar. You know, people can't go further in history saying that stuff anymore. Right. Because they were right. They were absolutely not those things.
1: But, you know, honestly, they knew that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They knew that. And this is not going to prove anything to those kinds of people. I know. So. And, and those
0: kinds of people aren't the people who should have say in anything right. anyways and bobby dunbar wasn't bobby dunbar right but in spite of the shit show of a childhood that he had because of all this like he lived and died a good man anyway. right
1: and it sounds like his did mom his? did the same thing and yeah. that's, Did
2: julia's children give any dna to match um, they didn't say that they did, which is interesting because like, it never said he's Bruce Anderson. Exactly. It just said he's not Bobby Dunbar. Exactly. That's what we know is that he's mm. not Bobby. But Dunbar. they know the family. So they could. So they could. And this match. book doesn't
0: say anything about that. So no, it's interesting
2: that it's not included. Yeah. I and thought that's where not... you were going to go next. But, but
0: no, there's nothing about that. Um, and I don't know if it's maybe that they just assumed, I mean, that if he's not, well, then he... Please, you know, he be. is Bruce. All he right. has to be Bruce. All right. Um, but, you know, anyway, so yeah, I've, I've said the name of the book a billion times There's really great stuff. There's so much more in this book than I told you. And I took so long to tell you this. <laughs> but there's a lot about like what psychologically Bobby may have been through in all of this, like what his thoughts may have been as a five year old oh going God. through this shit. Um, there's all kinds of other details. There's letters written verbatim in the book. There's pictures if you want to see them. And I do have, I'll have some on the show pages, but there's, there's a lot more in the book. So the co-author of the book is Margaret Cutright is, mm. is Margaret Dunbar is Bobby's great grand or granddaughter, not great granddaughter mm-hmm. is Bobby Dunbar's granddaughter. And it's funny cause her picture is on the book jacket and she looks a hell of a lot like Julia Anderson. Oh, <laughs> wow. Saying. So... <laughs> That is the final Whoa. end of Bobby wow. Dunbar. I'm not Shit. surprised that
2: he's not Bobby Dunbar. I'm, I, I think
0: all th- I think, Patrice, you said something about <laughs> DNA and the very first time Ooh. I brought it up, and I was I, like right. started the story, and yes. like we all already knew just from yeah.
2: listening to the way that this stuff went down you,
1: yeah usually when people railroad people like that is because they're trying to cover up the truth yeah
2: <laughs> unfortunately poor bobby dunbar probably did get eaten by an alligator yeah, yes that's what i was thinking probably, too you know
1: yeah
2: you know, drown right. something yep. but yeah Great story.
1: Great story. Good I did have, people. I was telling Marley. I was looking through my list of stories to um, oh, yeah, research that's right. and I saw uh, Dunbar baby. I was like, I am so glad that you did this story <laughs> instead of me. Cause mine would have been like, well, yep
0: <laughs> <laughs> you'd have gotten so pissed reading this book i don't know that you'd have gotten through the rest I of it it was not, so hard i
1: would not have read that book. it's so maddening it's a huge by the way y'all it's it is it is a big book
0: it is y'all should really look at it. you should check it out though It's it's very very cool um but uh yeah you know we've never gotten to that point yet where we've done the same one surprisingly i just, know hasn't even happened. though Knock we have lead. it like
1: our list are kind of similar and stuff it's so. weird it's gonna
0: happen we, we never <laughs> came up with like
1: a what do we do
0: it'll be funny let's just do it yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right all right pause we'll be right back
0: do you want more strange south every week we can help you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there.
2: The way you have to do it when people drown, they can find like 600 feet. It's amazing how far people can
1: go down. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, wow. That's
1: a really nice segue. Yeah. Ooh. And two. Uh oh. What I'm going to talk about. Well, While I'm is, crunching, sorry. <laughs> which is very that's all right, because it's like break time and I'm just like shoving like <laughs> chips I know and me dip. too. I was like,
2: oh my god, that stuff is so good. <laughs> Pita chips and spinach
1: dip. Pita chips and spinach dip. Um, all right. So this is pretty short. There's really not much of a story to it. Um, but I wanted to talk about it. Hold on, let me so I can see it. There we go. Because I did bring it up maybe last time or the time before. I'm not sure. But um, today I'm going to talk about the body farm.
0: Oh, Yes. Shit. Because I'm you brought ready. it up when you were talking about the um, the the people, the
1: morticians. 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 The crazy morticians. Yes. 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 So I wanted to do a little bit more research into the body farm and actually... It has not been around that long. The Body Farm literally has not been around that long. And I talked about reading Patricia Cornwell's The Body Farm Mm -hmm. because she wrote about it like in 1994, I believe. And The Body Farm didn't really start until like the late 80s. So it was just a few years after the body farm started that she started writing about it. And I recommend that book, The Body Farm by Patricia Cornwell. Uh, one of the things that happened, and this is a spoiler alert a little bit, is that the murderer uh, deposited his body in the body farm. Wow. So that they couldn't catch him, yeah. kind of deal. What? So it's crazy, right? but the person that started the body farm is dr bill bass or william bass and he is well, let me find out what they call him an anthropologist Interesting. yeah so uh, you know he they he started like looking at bones and and doing all that stuff but he became more interested in... Uh, decomposition and and human remains and stuff like that and he was hired by and this was before the body farm. this is really before like forensics like took off this is like you know 70s and 80s and he was hired he's from Tennessee and he was hired by the local um, authorities to help with different cases he actually helped he's like over his career has um, processed or assisted with over 700 cases. Oh, wow. And one of the things before the body farm came into play and afterwards, uh, he helped with the redheaded murders. Oh. Which, do you know about the Redheaded Murders? I have them on my list, but oh. I haven't ever done. I never, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know about them. And I was like, I'm putting well, this on my list. Murders? The Redhead Murders. So, yes. the Redhead Murders <laughs> refers to a series of unsolved homicides of redheaded females in the United States between October 1978 and 1992. And it's believed to be committed by, obviously, an unidentified male serial killer. They're unsolved till this mm-hmm. day. The murders occurred in states like Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia.
0: And I feel like they were trying to see if Sam Little was responsible for the redhead murders, too. Because
1: he's he's he's, also
0: on my list of like, holy shit, like the most prolific serial killer ever in history. Right. That
1: doesn't fit the mold Mm -hmm. of, you know, young white guy Mm -hmm. or middle-aged white guy. Uh, he also helped convict rapists, or he didn't help convict, but he was did the scene for The Zoo Man, uh, which was another, actually was a convicted rapist and probably most likely murderer. And this is another one that I may do um, <laughs> later on. But he killed local or raped local prostitutes. And would have sex with them at the Knoxville Zoo. What? Oh my god! And murdered more than likely. He was like a he was a former zoo elephant trainer there in Knoxville. What the fuck? And between like 1991 1992. That is like that's weird where king. the
2: body farm is, right? Oh, uh, in, in Knoxville. That. Yeah, yeah, in mm-hmm. Knoxville. Yeah,
1: in that area. And so <coughs> he they, he went to trial, and he was convicted of the rapes. But whatever evidence for the murders got thrown out. So he what? he more than likely murdered the people as well, but for whatever oh. it got fucked up. Oh, that's that's just ew. So these are the cases I, I, I don't know. so these are the cases that that, that that kind of put him on uh I didn't actually I didn't even write his name. They called him the, the Zoo Man.
2: Zoo Man. Okay.
1: Yeah. That put Bill I was gonna say Dunbar, Bill Bass's uh, <laughs> name in the forefront here of of forensics helping with, you know, these crime scenes and whatnot. And so a lot of the things that he would do, you know, because one of the first things that law enforcement wants is like time of death. Because that kind of really, you know, when did it happen? So like whoever's alibi checks out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he worked this scene or or got called to this scene where this family had a cemetery and one of the graves was disturbed. So they went and dug it up and he found this corpse that it was headless, but it was still like the flesh was still kind of pink. He said, well, this body is only like a year old. And so they were thinking that somebody had just buried a body on top of the other body to get rid of it. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's done a lot.
0: Yeah, because I think you said that in the mortician story, you were like, they, they would just, yeah, they would just put people in the same places in charge and yeah right
1: right yes you know so there's like you know this is this is a case but honestly what had happened is that the person that he was looking at was actually a soldier from the confederate war so it was over a hundred years Whoa. old but the coffin was airtight Ooh. and so the body was well preserved for Holy over shit, a nowhere. year Which got him thinking is like, I really need to do more research on decomposition Mm -hmm. so that I could start to figure out you know, put in all these different variables to give us a closer idea of when people have died and, and how things are preserved and, and whatnot. And Good this job is, scientists. and like this is take science. something and
0: learn from it. And this
1: is how the body farm you know started because you wanted to know more about decay rates mm-hmm. and under certain conditions. So oh God, it still freaks me out so much. Oh my gosh. Oh, so
0: many dead people so burn many me, dead burn people me, burn <laughs> me. Burn me. <laughs> me too man. Yes. I'm gonna make this I oh. want
1: a mushroom suit. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, let me just say one of the things that I watched when I was researching this it was a National Geographic called Secrets of the Body Farm, and they did not pull any punches. Like it was very oh, God. dramatic. But the footage, it was no, these are actors laying pretending to be dead. They showed oh. real dead bodies in stages of decay uh, with maggots. Oh, oh no, 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 no. all no. of the grotesque stuff. Oh, and I draw so, the line of maggots. <laughs> and so, <laughs> since I had been already listening to, like, zombie fallout oh, with my God. all, like, the graphic gross stuff, <laughs> it was just like, well, I'm just keeping a theme of just, like, decay this week. <laughs> but, yeah, it's
2: very Freaking interesting. Mushroom suit, yeah. <laughs> incinerate, incinerate, <Yeah. laughs> exterminate. Bill
0: Bass. And I swear that's somebody else's name, like a football a, coach or something, or, or like a label. It's Anybody
1: like a Bill Bass South. shirt. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Tennessee
1: name ever. <laughs> William Bass, Dr. William Bass <laughs> at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. You know, he was interested in studying decomposition in human corpses to help gain a better understanding of the process so that they can like narrow down the time of death. He wanted to develop different techniques for extracting the information and narrowing down timing and circumstances and all of this stuff. So the body farm came to be, he got, I'm sure, a grant and this thing happened. Very interesting for forensic anthropology, which really wasn't that big of a field. I don't think until much recently, like way before CSI. I think he was like the grandfather of it all. And then like right after that in the 90s, like all of these CSI. So Mm. was this the 80s? Yeah, the okay. 80s um, mountain. That's when like the Body Farm book came out. You know, all these people are right on Silence of the Lambs with like the insects oh. and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Because <sighs> before then, they really didn't study insects and maggots. And we'll talk about that in a second.
2: Uh, no more maggots. Ah.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm all about insects, but oh. Well, I'm not about just,
2: any of them.
0: Yeah, maggots make things look like they're moving no. when they're actually Don't. dead. Like mm-hmm. it's not okay. Yeah. Oh,
1: oh, then do not watch this. <laughs> it's, it's it's very graphic. Yeah. I'll talk about that. I'll gross you out in a little bit. (laughs) So I've done
0: it to you. You got to do it to me. The
1: bodies donated to the body farm are actually just a gift. So, you know, you can, you can, you can gift, (laughs) you can gift yourself like, you know, like a donor card kind of thing, or your family actually can gift your body without your permission if they want to. I don't think there's any monetary benefit, but You know, all the bodies that they they get are considered a gift. They do not own them. And at any point in time, if the family wants the body back, they will give the body back. What
0: the hell are you going to do with that?
1: I don't know. So it's a thing. It's it's, it's it's a thing. But
0: yeah. I'll how are you mate. gonna get it where you gotta go? I I'm wondering if this you is is this like it. the NPR? <laughs> I don't let you do. It. Is this like the NPR car donation thing where they'll come and tow your body yeah, over to the body like farm? Like you don't have to see. It'd be a nice way to get out of having to pay for like a oh plot, oh absolutely yeah. You, know?
1: you you wouldn't have to pay for a funeral. Yeah. Unless you, if you didn't want to,
0: you could just have a memorial service at church and be done.
1: Oh, yeah. Or at your home. And I mean, no be disrespect, done.
0: but I mean, right. that's, that's a racket. The whole funeral
2: thing. Yeah. It is. Is a
1: racket, yeah, absolutely. And so they they he uses, you know, he started the body farm, and they use it for research for medical, legal, and educational purposes. So there are multiple since the one in Tennessee, which was the first one, started up.
0: There's more than one.
1: The second one that opened was in 2006. So this is like they're pretty recent research facilities. The Western Carolina University has a small plot in a rural mountain campus so you really need different areas for different body farms because of the way that the oh, body reacts in different like weather weather and, and climates, yeah. and and animals and whatnot they study here in north carolina or western north carolina you know the decomposition in the mountain habitat and this is also an area where cadaver dogs are trained. It's really interesting how many different ways they use the body farm for different research and for different training stuff. Texas has a body farm at Texas state university and it's actually the largest it's 26 acres and they get more space for dead people. It's run by a former student of Bill Bass, so it's like his first run of students that studied under him at the Body Farm when it opened up in '87 have like gone out and started their own and, mm-hmm. and have made names for themselves in different areas of decompositional research. It's like the
0: franchise model. It's like well, body franchise, right? You know,
1: but it, because it's it's so recent, you know, oh, yeah. it's like they're still like the the first generation of this going on. Really, really interesting. In Texas, they started construction and the locals, were, you know, objected a lot because of the smell. And, you know, they didn't want a body farm near the areas. And they were also looking at a place near an airport. And the airport was like, you can't do this because of the circling vultures. And they were oh. afraid like the planes would hit the vultures. <laughs> oh, yeah. But one of the things in Those Texas vultures will
2: take a damn seven forty seven down yeah, yeah. the ones that we have around here. They're huge, yeah. <laughs> right?
1: And and it's a problem in Texas. It really would be but bad. <laughs> the thing about it is vultures play a huge part mm-hmm. in oh, in yeah. like decomposition yeah. and bone scatter and all that. So figuring out that this vulture problem actually is kind of like <laughs> A feature of how vultures scavenge on human decomposition and how all that works so it became like a research branch and they make it i mean it's a healthier process with vultures
0: involved like scavengers are there for a purpose oh yeah
1: they are like all the,
0: the yeah i mean they they the cut say. down like <laughs> yep.
1: death related
0: illnesses yes. from other people <laughs> absolutely like, really they, drastically
1: yep They take care of the bacteria that you don't Mm -hmm. want hanging around. The Texas facility gets a new body like every five or six months. And they say that the bodies typically come from Texas hospitals, funeral homes, medical
2: examiners. (laughs) Exhumed <laughs> offices. Do they have people who just have nobody to claim them? Is there a way that they get bodies that way? Yeah, I, I think like they do. From like prisoners? unclaimed. I feel like I've heard that. Yeah, unclaimed bodies I mean, they will do be it legally, donated. but yeah,
1: yeah. And there's actually there's a Uniform Anatomical Gift Act in Texas that you can go through and, and donate your body. And to date, they have they've received like 150 bodies through this act, and 200 more have been donated. Mm. And then there's actually another facility there. The Sam Houston State University has their body farm. And again, it's a slightly different environment. It's just like Alabama, North Alabama, and South Alabama are two different different. Mm -hmm. environments. Texas is big. There's got to be biodiversity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Texas is like. Fifteen countries, coast mm-hmm. and desert and right mountains and mm. all the things. Right. Then there's another one. There's seven total in the United States. There's a Southern Illinois University, which has the lowest average temperature of any of the body farms. That's what I was going to ask. Are they all? Because all these have been in the south wow. so far. I was like, what but I guess they something? they they're branching. Like, yeah, they've branched out uh, a little bit, um, and we'll t- we'll talk about like why there's not like even more. Uh, but the Southern Illinois University also has like the highest average wind speed and is the second lowest elevation. It also has the most acidic soil and the worst oh, soil wow. drainage. So there's like so much to be learned and so many mm-hmm. variables when it comes to decaying bodies and studying um, decay in the human body. God, the amount of regulations that must surround these places is got to be just
0: astronomical because the that- like the, the waterborne diseases and stuff that you can get from having decaying anything near a water source or runoff or anything
1: like that would be
3: mm-hmm.
1: problematic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's the last body farm that's actually running was started in 2013 in Colorado uh, Mesa University. And it is the highest altitude of any of the body farms, and it has the most arid, where they dry out the fastest. Mm. And the current research there focuses on the desiccation, which is the drying out process. I was like, they just turned to mummies there. Yeah, uh, you're right. And, you know, the post-mortem where they mummify. So that's basically what happens in the higher, drier altitudes. There have been so many more like proposals sent in for body farms throughout the U.S., but because there was like no funding or they got such pushback from the locals that there hasn't really been you know, a body farm in every state. Mm-hmm. But I feel like probably a, a body farm in, in most states have been proposed before.
0: I do feel like I I feel for those people because can you imagine if like JSU decided to do a body farm around here we'd all be like fuck you guys Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no yeah. Las Vegas proposed in 2003 to have a body farm, but has yet to secure funding um, for this proposed body farm, which, you know, Las Vegas, high heat, no water. I know. And, and there's so much like unoccupied area it's so around much un- Las
0: Vegas and City. And a lot
1: of deaths happen in the desert. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's like one of the main dump sites for like a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, <yeah. laughs> right? yes
1: so besides <laughs> even though like the body farms originated in tennessee by dr bass of course this is taken off in the anthropological forensic anth- anthropology world and australia um started its first body farm and has a second one in propo- it proposed and it was actually a student of his who went to um australia to i, th- I think it was a student of his and got it started in Australia. Then the student moved to Canada and opened up a body farm in Canada. And this is Dr. Sherry Forbes, who did both the Australian and the Canadian body farm for her academic work. And this is all academic related. This mm-hmm. is all through universities. This is not, it's, it's government funded, but it's academically government funded. Uh, India proposed a body farm in 2010. The UK has farms, decomposition farms. However, they don't use, they use pigs instead of human bodies. And mm-hmm. one of the professors there, Sue Black, Dr. Black, has argued that the human body farms are unnecessary because they frequently use old people's body, which is not normally not a rep- thank you, representative okay. of like the average murder victim. That's kind of fascinating too. There are so many variables. There's so many different things to think about. So she does have a point, but I feel like an older human body would be better than a pig. A pig, pig I know. than a pig for sure. <laughs> like
2: I get it if I don't know, people didn't want to donate, but if people are willingly doing this, then right. what's the argument really? Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah. So the UK is like interested, but they're not quite there yet. They're a little too posh for dead people.
0: A little I'm surprised. Too... I was never they would surprising. have it.
1: Well they have a lot of T V shows yeah. that are body farm related hmm. of current light. So the original body farm that is From the University of Tennessee. It's actually, they don't call it, the body farm is like the slang term for it. It's actually the Anthropological Research Facility, and that's what they call it. It's so much harder to say. And so much harder, and that's why everybody says, like, the body farm. And it's actually a few miles from downtown in Alcoa Highway in Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh,
0: that's which, so weird. It's only a few miles from downtown. And
1: I know. And it's like two and a half acres. It's on a wooded plot. There's, it's surrounded by razor fence wire. And at any point in time, there's going to be like, there's several, several bodies sitting out. Oh. decomposing on this you know two and a half acres and I was watching like the little 45 minute uh, National Geographic special on this and the people that are the students and the professors that are you know doing the research it's just just so bizarre listening to them talk they're like okay we're gonna put a body here and then the body's uh-huh. gonna go here we're gonna bury it here and then we're gonna bury one over there so it's just kind of it's Very morbid, obviously. They don't bury them
2: all, though, do they? They leave them laying out. do not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, like,
0: do you think kids in Knoxville would, like, ride their bikes to the edge of the razor wire and, like, stand at the edge and see what they could see? i sure. If y'all from
1: there, I want to know if you've done this. Yeah. That that is like, oh, we're going to drive by the body farm. That's totally the thing you would do, right? It's like, stand by me. Let's go see a dead body. Let's go see a dead body. Yeah. Killing me, Smalls. Okay. No, that was the sand lot. That wasn't stand by Yeah, Yeah, we get it. (laughs) (laughs) So there's many. There's like. Obviously, many purposes for having these research facilities, you know, and understanding decomposition that occurs in the human body. One of the ways is to have control over the different, studying the different ways and the different conditions that the bodies are left in, in, you know, different things. So, like, you know, being in the trunk of a car Mm -hmm. or being submerged underwater. Uh, Yeah, wow. So, you know, being buried or not buried in the sun, in the shade, in water, in trunks of car, in garbage cans, clothed, unclothed, (sighs) you know, buried under a concrete slab. Oh, wow. um, Like, you know, all of these different ways that bodies have been found. And one of the things they said is like, if a body's buried under a slab, it's kind of hard to detect. Cause the dogs don't pick it up as easily. They do pick it up, um, but it's not as easily. And they do test out like they have radars that can like go through the concrete and see if the the soil's been disturbed. And if it's like in a body like shape Mm -hmm. and the special that, they had a National Geographic. It was, I want to say it was like 2006. So technology definitely has taken off since then. And I'm sure there's a lot more that they have as far as radar goes and finding bodies and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But they also talked about like the different kinds of research that they do and showed pictures of. And I was just like,
2: <laughs>
1: so you know they they put these these bodies in in different environments and in different like clothing and like all of these different variables and again the Does main this person in rayon decay at a different rate, rate than this
0: person in cotton right
1: at, at different yeah different times. One of the main things that Dr. Bass said is every law enforcement person that talks to him is like, we want to know the exact time of death. Mm -hmm. And this is really the reason the body farm started. And one of the ways that they found this is through insects collected at the murder scene. This is one of the things he started researching. Mm -hmm. The stories that he tells, he's like, there was a family in Mississippi that was murdered. And a relative had taken life insurance out on the kid, which anytime life insurance, like life insurance have killed so many people. Exactly. You know, it's just really crazy. So this family member had taken out life insurance on one of the children in this family that was murdered, but he had an alibi for the time that the police thought that the murders occurred. And he did say that, They didn't show up. They kind of disappeared. And he went to the house twice over the course of two weeks to see if they they would answer the door or whatnot. And so they knew, like, you know, the family died in November. And they they brought Dr. Um, Bass in, and they just showed him photos of, of the families. And he was looking, like, at the insects, and they leave, like, little capsules of where they hatched out of and,
3: <laughs> and all the things.
1: And he knows that, was it the bot fly? I think it's the main, the blowfish. No, blowfish. Yeah, Hootie yeah. and the Blowfish. Yeah, the blowfly. The, yeah. the blowfish fly. Yeah. The blowfly is like the main corpse fly that lays the maggots. Like if you see maggots on a body, is it's the the blowfly. And so that we know that they have like a 14 day life cycle. And because of the casings that were near the family when this photo was taken, he could say, okay, this is 14 days prior. This is when the fly landed on this corpse and laid its eggs, which means that the corpse was probably dead the day before or was freshly killed the day before. So just Through him studying the maggots and the casings that they leave behind, he was able to narrow it down to this is the day that they are murdered. And it just happened to coincide with one of the days that the guy visited that he told the authorities. So he didn't have an alibi and he was convicted of murdering them. This was like a huge thing that blew up. and. So he did another case in Las Vegas where an an old woman was found in a trash can in a storage facility. So the strange thing about this is that there were no blowflies anywhere in the corpse, which is really weird because if there's a corpse... Blowflies are going to find say, the corpse. I was going to say, they get
2: in everywhere? Everybody's house, everything. Yeah, they, get, they get into just, everywhere. It's crazy. A way, uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Nature finds a way. I know. There was something called the coffin fly. Yeah. So a coffin fly is a fly that we don't really see in dead things because they, and this really confused me. I'm going to have to go back and watch it, because they bury like four to five feet down in the ground. And then they lay their eggs in the corpse underground, and then they hatch underground, and all the things happen underground. So the coffin fly was the only fly that was in this garbage can that this older lady had been put into that was basically just old lady suit by the time Ew, that they found it. old lady suit. Yeah, it was really bad. He concluded that because there was no blow flies, that either she was killed and immediately put in the, the trash can. Oh. Or she was put in the trash can and then died in the trash can kind of deal. So it ended up being like her daughter that had killed her and put her in the trash can that put her in the thing. And, you know, she had said that her mother had died and then she didn't know what to do with her. So she put her in the trash can. But anyway, they ended up convicting the daughter because of the lack of loaf flies. Hmm blowfish flies blowfish <laughs> but other things that they study they study um, dirt and plant life when somebody has died outside like in the wilderness Mushrooms. and yeah and and there's they the soil actually surrounding a decomposing body, has a lot of importance as far as telling how the person died or when the person died because of the proteins that seep into the soil and the kind of plant life, just like insects. Mm -hmm. Some of his students study bones. Uh, which is a little bit easier to study than decayed flesh. And bones that get left will have, sometimes if it's a murder, they'll have trauma. And so one of his students, Steve Sims, there at Tennessee, has become like the bone expert. He's studied, like, over the past 15 years the various kinds of saws. Oh no. You know, when people saw bones to, like, cut them up, dispose to of. dispose of them. Oh, man. He said, like, once he started doing this, because the bones, you know, we have bones that are ancient, old. Mm. So they stay around forever and they hold all their data basically so they're they're a good source to research and he said that you know when he started doing this law enforcement we like in a month said we have three dismembered bodies that we need to know how they were dismembered and so he said he looked at it and it it left an eye nook in the bone he's like well they used a saw and they're like duh (laughs)
2: yeah. <laughs> it's like, we know
1: they use a saw, but what kind of saw? Oh my God. And that led him onto like a 15 year journey to record all the different saws used on bones to take a body apart. And he studies the teeth per inch, how long or short they are, are they curved and testing like all the different marks ooh, that ooh. I saw. And this is just one small aspect of things that they studied there at, at the body farm.
0: I bet all these people smell
1: terrible when they go home. Uh, oh my god let me tell you my dad for a very brief time my dad's like a computer network person he's like a computer geek like seriously and has been for like a really long time like he's been in the field since like the 70s and stuff and um at one point he took a job working on the computer network for sarah lee (laughs) <laughs> and their meat plant. Oh. And he. I don't think of Sara Lee and meat in
0: the same sense. Well, sentence. they used to
1: like bacon and stuff. That was like the big thing that they had Weird. in West Point, Mississippi. They had a, a bacon, like a, a pig facility. Whew. And he, West Point, from where we lived, was like 20 minutes away. It was like 15 miles away. And it's in the middle of nowhere. So he had like a good, like, interstate where you could air out the car. He would drive up, and his car would just reek like you couldn't even walk past it without it smelling like slaughter. And he would come home, and he would just like immediately come home and scrub. Oh my god! That job did not last long. It It was yeah, that would be too much. It was pretty. It was pretty rough. So you'll know, talk about smell. I don't know, do I? Yeah. You know. <laughs> this this one was really hard to watch too. Another student there studies burn trauma. So what this, they oh, do no. is they take limbs oh. that were used by surgical students practicing like incisions and closures and stuff like that, and they donate it to the body farm, and they will take these limbs and they'll create these barbecue pits. Oh my god. And they will observe how the body reacts when it's cooked when it's in a fire basically there could be some real fucked up people working
0: there too they never watch
1: that oh my gosh yeah i I think like a psychological test Mm -hmm. psychiatrics test should definitely be performed on a lot of these people oddly enough it's a lot of females Hmm. when i was like looking at the they had like an overview of the class and i think there was probably about 10 females to two males In that class, which is very interesting. And it was a female that was studying this burn trauma. So she would take a limb and she would create a pit using basically charcoal. Mm -hmm. And she would, she studied like an arm. So she put an arm on this pit. And what happens when a limb is in fire, the fibers compact and it curls up. Ah. Yeah, puke. Ah. I watched it. And then I was just thinking, what... Was that fucking smell, Mike? Uh, I was like, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But she was just la, la, la. I been, was it Noxema or, shit. you know, I bet mentally? She didn't,
0: I bet she didn't eat a lot of barbecue, though. Uh, like...
1: I, I'm sure all them people
0: are fucking <laughs> vegan, right?
1: Oh, my God. So they do that because if they find a corpse that has been burned mm. and the arms are relaxed, oh. then it means that the arms were tied down. And they were confined and they didn't have the room to curl up, which automatically means foul play. Mm-hmm. They call it pugilistic posture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, <laughs> so it's like, I was like I'm learning other things. <laughs> la, la, la. La, la, la. <laughs> um, but that means it's a boxer-like posture that happens when everything gets dried up yeah. quickly due to heat. The, the fist closes, the arm curls mm-hmm. up, like you're boxing. Very interesting. And she's also like like once it's been cooked, you have like charred bones and stuff. And so she studies the patterns of the burn and like what happens to bones when like cold water hits and, and like mm. the different temperatures and the times been in fire. So it's like all of these like multiple variables. And there's one very specific area of things studied there. Wow. They ended with a, an old man who had donated his body, and they, like, dressed him, like, in sweatpants and stuff. And they were showing him dressing them, And then they put him out on, in the middle of this forest, and they took pictures and videos, like, every day, and they were studying the stages of what happens when a body decays. So I'm going to go over the different stages of decay oh, they God. study. Oh, <laughs> so the first stage is the fresh stage, right? It's the no maggot stage, which is lasts for one day. Like you get one day maggot free. Mm. And this is when the body stiffens with rigor mortis, and then it becomes discolored, and then it relaxes. And so after that happens, stage two, second day on, um, the blowflies lay their eggs, the maggots hatch, they, they start to consume the fleshy parts, the protein parts of the body. And They showed this, like they showed it was yeah, it was pretty, and they just like a flurry of insect activity is how they described it, and it was yeah, it was really gross. They showed it, they showed it, they showed it all. Oh my god,
0: they showed it all. I'm never gonna watch this.
1: Yeah, (laughs) they showed it all. They showed like in his ears and his nose and his eye socket. They showed it all. Um, they also really interesting. They talked about there's blowflies, but they also talked about yellow jackets. So apparently yellow jackets like show up to dead bodies. I
0: think I knew that, you know why the bible say what there were bees living inside a lion corpse oh. samson pulled honey from the corpse of a lion because bees populate corpses think. Like, okay. y- yeah it's oh. crazy and it's actually like it's a thing
2: like yeah oh, so okay. yellow jackets
0: yes yeah also butterflies eat shit just so you know they're uh, scavenger butterflies yeah go ahead
1: Shitting, but <laughs> so um. Second stage is also when the gases start to oh, release no. and it bloats, and it sometimes can explode, like no. the stomach cavity. No, really? Yeah.
0: Oh my god! I thought it was comical, like on Six Feet Under, when like corpses are in the back of the hearse and they fart. But that's this is way different. This is way different.
1: Yeah, that, that was probably a little bit. F-
2: that fresher. was probably yes, early that was the early on yeah, they don't stay that long if they can help it on yeah so that's so that's why
1: it. they get embalmed is so their stomach so that this does not happen so this, this doesn't happen Make yeah very this,
0: upsetting service and, yes
1: and also during the stage two when all the the insect activity and stuff happens you also have marbling of the skin which is really interesting they showed some examples of it i, I didn't really know that that happened stage three is the longest stage and it becomes seasonal because it's so long you don't think about that like you know when a body dies and after a few months you're going like from summer to winter or winter to summer and that also is another variable that affects like insects and and animals and gases and, and bacteria and all of that so this is the seasonal stage there's a decrease in maggot activity Woo-hoo! and i think I, I wrote down 52 i'm thinking maybe 52 weeks is they're talking about stage three year. Mm-hmm. 52 weeks is a year so maybe no 52 months is a no <laughs> <laughs> that's what it no. feels like it then. feels <laughs> like you're right 20 50, was 52 months. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so is. maybe maybe over the course of a year maybe the, the stage three is like over a year and then we have stage four, which is all the things have decayed and now things start to dry. And this is the mummification stage. All soft tissue is gone and like the skin becomes leathery and stuff. So those are the four stages of decomposition. Ask nobody ever. <laughs>
0: yeah. I was just thinking of all that, like when uh, Abby and I watched The Quiet Place 2, they were full of questions about why the people who were on the train were in skeleton phase when the people over at this other place were Mm. not. And I couldn't really answer. I was like, I don't know. Maybe they weren't being careful with their set dressing.
2: I don't know. (laughs) Well, it's just when they died, they could have been killed way. Well, and that was my answer too. They could have been killed at the very beginning or more recently. Yeah. things. Or Mm -hmm. it depended on the
0: climate. Or that they were in, yeah, they were enclosed in a train. So Mm. maybe they didn't decay as fast.
1: More climate controlled. Now we can answer those questions. Yes. All right, so still talking about the Tennessee body farm facilities. Over 100 bodies are donated every year there. Um, You can pre-register before death. Go to (laughs) www.bodyfarm.org Like I said, you'd be donated by your family Or actually the medical examiner Which is probably when there is no family Mm -hmm. 60% of the donations are actually made by family members Of individuals who were not pre-registered So it was like the family decided that you're going to the Body Farm Because they didn't want to pay for your (laughs) funeral
2: That's Uh ugly, but I have a
1: feeling (laughs) That's a lot of it Right now, over 1,300 people have chosen to pre-register Registered themselves for the Tennessee Body Farm. Hmm. So after they've done the research, the skeletal remains will be cleaned and curated and permanent known like skeletal collection for research until somebody claims them, if they want to claim them, or they'll just stay in permanent collections basically. And they were talking about you know, not this collection, but law enforcement will keep the remains of cold case files. Mm. And they showed just boxes. One, one place that they showed, and, and I'm guessing this was in Tennessee, was just boxes and boxes of skeletons in boxes from cold case files and they'll send them here to this research facility and they'll write a report finding like all their findings and stuff and then they'll just keep that information with the box and then as technology like improves and changes they'll go back and revisit it and they'll find more findings hopefully hopefully to at the end find who these people were or who their murderer was and that was like the driving force by a lot of the people um by several of the people uh that they interviewed you know one of the reasons that they wanted to do this because they wanted to find who the remains belonged to and uh, who their killers were one of the things that they do not accept at the body farm um, they reject donations from people who have been infected with human autoimmune deficiency viruses like um HIV, hepatitis, and any antibiotic resistant bacterial and probably COVID. COVID. I was just so, gonna say COVID. So They're yeah. gonna be
2: at a loss for a while. Yeah, they are man, gonna be at a loss for a while. Dying. Unfortunately.
1: So, you know, Body Farm 1987 hasn't been around that long in the grand scheme of things. There have been a ton of books written about the Body Farm and movies as well. Dr. Bill Bass actually published some fictional murder mystery novels with a guy named John Jefferson mm-hmm, cool. based on the body farm there in Knoxville under the pseudonym Jefferson Bass. Well, that's And the lead character okay. is based on, obviously, Dr. Bill Bass. So I'm, hmm. I'm sure like a lot of his expertise and stories and then kind of added to, you know, in the fiction world. Um, I'm sure they're pretty interesting. The British have a television series called Waking the Dead, where a forensic pathologist has her own body farm. And then she also reappears in a spin-off of a series called The Body Farm there in the UK. So the British is all about the body farms. And then she appears in the great British breaking show. But she washed her hands. She washed her hands, right, and changed clothes. Bones, CSI, Law and Order, SVU, all have had episodes dealing with the body farm. There's a novel by Simon Beckett called Whispers of the Dead, which was set in in and around the body farm there in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, of course, I talked about The Body Farm by Patricia Cornwell, which is an excellent book you should read if you have not read it. Stephen Fry, his second Yay. episode of his documentary series, Stephen Fry in America, visits the University of Tennessee's anthropological research facility. And then there's another book called Torpedo Juice mm-hmm. that talks about a body being dumped at a body farm in the Florida Ever glades and there is a coffee book basically oh God, no. no no by photographer Sally Mann no, 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 that's called no, no, what remains and it includes a series of photographs of dead and decomposed de- that's a bit fluctu- decompose. Thank nice. you. T- thank you. Decomposing bodies taken at the Tennessee forensic anthropology. Do not want a that coffee
2: book. table book.
1: Well, I mean, it's a photo book. How so gross is I, your coffee table? I, I just called it a coffee table because I figured I all know, photography books photo book coffee are table coffee books. table books, true. books right? In closing, the most famous person buried at the body farm, or not buried at the body farm, is Rover Krantz, which if you are into Bigfoot, would know his name because he was an American anthropologist and cryptozoologist and is one of the very the few scientists not only to do research on Bigfoot, but it also has expressed this belief in the animal's existence. He was a member of the high IQ societies Mensa and Intertel, and he donated his body in 2002. Body farm. Body farm. But yeah, so that's the body farm. Everything you do and don't want to know about body decomposition. Yeah.
0: Science right. is awesome. Thanks, Patrice.
2: No problem. <laughs> now I'm grossed out.
1: Yay. <laughs> I,
2: mean, I know what I book you are getting for book, <laughs> Halloween this year. No. <laughs> <laughs> Gross.
0: Ooh.
1: All right. Have a good week, you guys. Yes. Talk to y'all later. Bye. 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 Um, so I was going to talk a bit about, because um, this past week, I've just been like brain dead. And I guess that's why we start talking about food and having to prep it and all that bullshit. And so I've done like the, what's the Pomodoro? Um, oh, yeah, the you? yeah, the tomato timer. The The Pomodoro method. Right, the Pomodoro method. uh, Because otherwise I would like literally sit on the couch and just like stare off into space. And and that was more like me kind of like sleeping with my eyes open deal. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I've got to get things done. So I set like a timer and did like... 20 minutes of like work on the computer, 20 minutes of housework, and then 20 minutes of doing whatever the fuck I wanted to do. And if that was, most of that was just sitting on the couch staring into space. Mm. But I was listening to audibles and I have been like, audibles has saved me so much. Just like listening to podcasts while you do work and stuff. Audibles have saved me because I love reading books, but I've gotten, I feel like, I mean, I'm not even 50 yet, but I'm like, I'm so old and tired. Um, And I do take all my vitamins. Uh, Geritol. (laughs) It helps me, like, just leave my mind so I can do things like wash dishes and clothes and pick up and throw all the boxes away from Amazon and stuff like that. So my main go-to, and it's really interesting, and this is going to be part, I have a short story, so... I'm going to fill some of the beginning of Mm -hmm. our talk Mm -hmm. here with some of the stuff that I've been reading. My main go-to and probably the book that I have listened to repeatedly since, like, I first heard it, besides uh, Andy Wears Mars, which I... was it? the martian the martian the martian andy oh that's wears. the name the oh, andy wears. wears is the author right his, i was like story. i thought the oh, name wears. of
0: the book was andy wears mars yeah. and no, i was like
1: dramatically I, I can't Anywhere's the martian <laughs> the martian so i've listened to that book multiple Either times because i love it i've also listened to dresden falls multiple times, because I love that. But my main book, and it is such a dude book, I mean, honestly, not to be stereotypical, but it is, is Mark Tufo's Zombie Fallout. Sounds like a video game. It basically could be, but it's read by this guy named Sean uh, Renee. Sean Renette. He's like, you know, he's one of those narrators that becomes the character. And he is such this character. And, you know, it's a little bit misogynist. It's a little bit uh, racist. I mean, (laughs) not bad but he makes the characters he makes some of the characters races and stuff so you're kind of wondering like is this person like is he just making the character races or is this him like speaking through the character because sometimes you know they do that and it's such a it's an action book i love action books this is like gore filled zombie apocalypse apocalypse kind of (laughs) book and he's got like five books in the series there's only supposed to be one and he just kept you know writing it and it is, he's got a sense of humor. And that's what hooks me. It's like, if you write action and you have a sense of humor, it's like, I'm on board. This book, this main character is so funny to me that I just like, I am all the time listening. So I've been like listening to that all week. This is probably the fifth time I've listened to this series. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm and it's, it is it is gross. It's like, he's very um, descriptive. Because the thing about it is his main character is a germaphobe. He doesn't drink after anybody. He doesn't like, touching gross things. And he's in the middle of the zombie apocalypse where, like, literally, it's, like, (laughs) this viscous gore. And it's, like, him having to, like, you know, go through it. (laughs) He tiptoes through the
0: street going,
1: (laughs) Yeah, basically. But he's, like, an ex-Marine. And so he has to act tough, but then he does it. And it, it's got like a really, a lot of great characters. And it's just easy listening, which is why I, I listen to it a lot. And it's like one of my favorite things to listen to while I clean. Mm. It's also like the Dresden Files, which is like probably my number one favorite series uh, by Jim Butcher. The narrator, James Marston, who was Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, oh. is my favorite narrator of all time. <laughs> like, he has got the best voice. I go through and I buy every single book, no matter what what subject matter that he narrates because it's like butter. (laughs) His his narration voice is so good. You're just like you're swimming in butter. Um, So I listen to him a lot. Plus the Dresden Files, again, funny. It's like, Urban fantasy. Very entertaining. Very funny. Got a sense of humor.
2: How many are there? I'm looking it up. There's like a ton of them. Oh,
1: uh, which one? Dresden Files? Oh, I think there are like uh, eight. the first Oh, one. wow. Eight or nine. Like, he's still writing them. He was like uh, writing, putting out one like every year, but it's kind of slowed down a little bit. But they've just gotten better and better and better. Like the first one, the first book of the Dresden Files is a little, you know, may not be your cup of tea. It's It's kind of rough. But he really hits his stride and his characters and everything are so good. And James Marston, like reading that is, again, my favorite. I've probably listened to The Dresden Files like three or four times
0: <laughs> just um, let spike
1: talk you to sleep just, i mean he does you just let him talk you to sleep it's, it's see courtney's so writing good. these down
2: because she'll listen to them i don't i, I don't have a bunch of audible credits yeah so, i'm looking at him as she's saying it <laughs> yes
1: you may not like seriously like if you want to go on a diet and not eat anything then you may want to listen to <laughs> the uh, zombie fallout the
2: zombie fallout was free on audible for subscriber uh, yeah. subscribers, so I yeah, it, it does. It some of them, yeah, <laughs> some of <laughs> the them
1: do one. have like a free deal. And one of the free ones that I listen to because I love that they started doing that, because I know the a lot of the books are not quite up to like quality. Um, but they will put like some pretty good books, like to get you into the series, kind of like as teasers, I was like, well, let you listen to this first book in the series and then you have to purchase the rest of the books, which I've totally been loving because I listened to My Best Friend's Exorcism. Oh. Um, which let me, which is, let's say My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix is one of the free ones that I listened to this weekend. And it's very, he also wrote the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Oh, funny. And also he wrote the uh, horror store that just came out, I think, maybe on Netflix. Um, But anyway, he writes, like, stereotypical Southern women perfectly. Hmm. Like, I seriously thought he was a girl, like a woman writing this because of his insight of, like, that kind of uh, 80s upper class like South Carolina uh Christian debutante <laughs> um he wrote those characters perfectly so I, I read that the um My Best Friend's Exorcism which was okay I liked it because every single chapter was uh the name of a song in the eighties. It takes place in the late, oh, late that's 80s. Cool. So it's like we got the beat. That's what friends are for. Party <laughs> party all the time. Sunday, bloody Sunday, end of the world as we know it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing leads to another, broken wings, King of Pain, uh Jenny, was it eight six eight, seven, seven five three oh nine. Yeah, total eclipse of the heart, New Sensation, nah. <laughs> um, Union of the Snake. <clears throat> Uh, I think we're alone in like fast cars. Like every single chapter is the name of a song, popular song in the eighties. And it kind of fits in with like the Mm storyline. It'd be a fun writing exercise. Yeah. it, It, yeah, it was entertaining. It was a, it got a little slow in some places, but it was entertaining. It was a good freebie. And then I read the next one, which was the Southern book clubs, guide to slaying vampires, which had like the debutante, Christian Southern women stereotypes, which he nailed because they drove me fucking crazy. (laughs) Like, but it was entertaining as well. So he's kind of a good one to check out. Um, But that's what I did. Like while I was doing, you know, my uh, Pomodoro Mm -hmm. routine and stuff and, and cleaning house and all that fun stuff. So I recommend (laughs) those. Um, Of course you have to like, if you don't like action gore, sci-fi, urban fantasy, apocalypse kind of stuff, then this is probably not your bag of tea.
0: You know, it's really weird because there was some like when COVID, I guess it was 2020, I maybe it was not that long after COVID started when the stand got released, the new stand. And I watched the beginning of it, like the first episode, and I was just like, you know what? I can't apocalypse with you right now. Mm, you yeah. know, I was like, I'm over I, this is too much for me. Oh, well, plus, I didn't love it. I didn't love the way they were doing it either. Yeah, but um, yeah, but, but you know, it's interesting. Like I've just started watching Why the Last
1: Man. Oh, yeah. And um, I thought about watching that. Yeah. And
0: I was like, OK, this I'm, this might be the first. Well, Handmaid's Tales, is pretty apocalyptic.
1: Tales. That took me a while to watch that. And I was going to say, the yeah, the
0: latest season of that was really hard to get through. Mm-hmm. But this one, I'm like, I'm kind of digging this one. Oh, good. So, you know, it's
1: I'll it, check it out.
0: It, I'm, I'm like. I'm just interested to see what's going to happen in it. Like they're setting up some interesting things. It's a completely different kind of apocalypse. Right. um, And it's very gendered. Yeah. Like that's the main point of like the show. So. um, Well, one of
1: the things about the zombie fallout Uh, by mm -hmm. Mark Tufo, uh, which was really eerie when I went back and listened to it, because this is the first time I went back and listened to it after COVID started, he wrote it like maybe I think, 2010 around you know, like it was you know way before covid and mm-hmm. stuff but the zombie apocalypse starts from a flu vaccine oh jesus and so what happened was they didn't test the vaccine and they automatically released it and ever because it was like the h1n1 flu mm-hmm. was like you know everybody was panicking because of that and so they had set up like this vaccine for everybody to get and they didn't test it. So they didn't go through any testing. So I'm not saying like, you know, Oh yeah. I'm saying like, get the vaccine, <clears throat> um, you know, get the COVID vaccine, but that's how it started. So if you got the vaccine, like aft, like the next day, they turned into like, you know, flesh eating zombies <clears throat> and they're yeah. And, and it was like, Everybody got the vaccine except for like, you know, a couple of instances where.
0: That's the biggest fantasy I so far. I was just about to
1: say, well, there's no worries. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody would be a zombie in the South, basically. <clears throat> we would we be would zombies. Be, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, we well. Oh, well. But ain't nobody ever take the flu vaccine. Uh, I will from now on oh, all yeah. the time. But like. Absolutely. Mm. Um. But anyway, so I re- I was like listening to that and I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always I'm always like second guessing stuff like that now. I'm like, okay, how will this
0: be perceived? I know. F- right? Will people take this and right. go in the wrong direction with right.
1: it? Right. Exactly. Oh. All right. But yeah, that's that's my long ass talk for the beginning. <laughs> you're interested in some books that I like or maybe you're not.
0: I just remembered there was one thing that we were going to um we were going to add to your Eureka Springs uh, piece that you did a little while back Mm -hmm. because my husband grew up in Missouri and I think I made a comment when we were doing the episode that I'm pretty sure that that's where his grandparents went through all the time when they were traveling, they would always go down through Eureka Springs. And so I knew about it from them. Mm -hmm. Well, he had texted after he listens to the show, like as soon as it comes out and he had texted and he was like, so here are the things that you didn't know about Eureka Springs. Oh, awesome. And, um, one of the things is he said, along with all the spiritualist stuff they used to have, they used to have an outdoor passion play that they did every year, which completely explains why his grandparents went through there all the time. (laughs) Right. Because like, if y'all don't know the passion, the outside plash passion play is like the thing where they, you know, dramatize the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus in a big outdoor theater. They have bunches of them across the South and I'm sure other places, but there are bunches of them across the South that were, you know, summer stock theaters all the time. Um, He said there was also a 50 foot Jesus statue there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said that he was pretty sure that Eureka Springs is where his grandparents got married because he could not be younger and get married in Arkansas.
2: That's right. That's how memory. we got off on a conversation about yeah. like in Missouri, you mean He yes. couldn't get married in Missouri so he went to Arkansas. Uh
0: I think that must be yeah. that must be what he said. He yes, because I think they're both from Missouri so I don't think. Yeah. But right. yes, his his grandfather used to get a real big kick and his grandmother out of telling us that um that he had to lie about his age to get married. He actually went into the military, I think, before he was allowed to. He lied about his age to get into the military too. Right. Um, so he got married before he was legally allowed to get married. She's older than him.
3: Right. And
0: um, so they're like their pictures of when they're little are really cute. He's like this goofy. He turned into kind of like a, a mean dude for a long time, and then he had like a health scare, and then turned into like just a, a like a cute mean dude. Like he was. <laughs> <laughs> he is really—he's one of those I mean, like curmudgeonly. Really exactly, he's exactly. It's like he couldn't get rid of the whole, fas- like the whole you know, I don't know, personality of the mean guy, Mm -hmm. but he really was just teasing people all the time at that point. Apparently he was a complete asshole before I met him. Oh, wow. But his pictures from when he got married are like him in a little uniform and like looking like a total like 14 year old geek. And I think he was I think he was 16 when he got married. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. And we talked about like Alabama just like recent not recently but like re-
0: 2001 or yeah. two, no 2011 yeah
1: just you know changed their um dates as far as because it was like 14 i don't know it was, it was, it was
0: 14 was the legal age of marriage what? and yeah, then it was 16 became so the legal age of marriage they young. had tried to raise it before oh and every it? time it
1: had gotten knocked down it got knocked down it was like who the fuck like says no we're gonna keep it at 14 and 16 yeah yeah and you know what I think I think
0: now because of the the new laws and everything like that I think you can legally get married in Alabama before you can legally get a COVID shot without your parental permission (laughs) just saying (laughs) yeah so wow yeah that was a fun conversation that was a fun conversation onward onward am I first today I think I might be first I can't remember I did um what was last week what did you do last week do you remember Courtney
2: I know you did the other I've part Bobby. I've been doing Bobby. Bobby
0: Dunbar for this is my third
2: week of Bobby I feel Dunbar. Like we ended on Bobby, but well, you <laughs>
1: did, and I did. I did uh, Blackbeard, and who did I do? After? Blackbeard was two weeks oh, ago, and, and then, then I did the Truckers. Yeah, oh, yeah, last week was truckers. truckers.
2: Truckers were.
1: I think you first. opened with the Truckers. Yes, okay. Truckers
2: okay. was first.
0: I'm, mine is going to be a little bit short, or, Well, definitely shorter than it has been. Anyways, um, hold on, take a hold on. I need to pause. I'm going to pour myself more wine. Real Break. Um...